Today, the church, all churches, this church, has a decision to make. Now, it is a hard decision. I'll tell you up front, it is a potentially divisive decision. Most importantly, it is a critical decision that we need to make in the church. Now, the decision is this. The decision is, will we be a biblically correct church or will we be a culturally accepted church? That is the question. Will we be a biblically correct church or will we be a culturally accepted church? Will we be a church that seeks God's approval and so adheres doggedly to the truth of his word or will we be a church that seeks the world's approval and so quietly sets down the word of God? That is the question. Our church is going to have to answer that. All churches are going to have to answer that. Will we be a biblically correct church or will we be a culturally accepted church? Now let's walk that out. Let's see what that looks like. Will we in the church call what God has called sin a sin? Will we call what God has called a sin a sin? Or will we somehow try to smooth it over? Will we try to overlook it? Can a person in a homosexual union honor God? Can they serve as the pastor of a church? That's happening all around us. What about people who feel they are not the gender that they are? Can that person honor God? Can they claim to love our Savior Jesus, that is all around us. That is a growing thing today. How about this question? Are there other ways to be saved? Are there other ways to be saved than the truth that we know in Jesus? What about Hindus? Are we going to say they're lost? What about Muslims? What about some new age person? Are we going to say they're lost? What about our friends that are Mormons? Are they saved? Are we going to tell them they're not saved? Are we going to tell them they've been fooled and misled by Satan? Folks, listen, we have a decision to make. Are we going to be biblically correct and stand on the word of God, or are we going to be culturally accepted and approved by the world? Now, tonight, today, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, I am amazed every single week how exactly on time God's Word is. I don't know why I'm surprised. It is living and active. But I can tell you once again, this is a message for this day. This is a message for this church. And once again, I can tell you this morning, God is speaking to us today. If you're here, if you're listening today, God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to us this very day. Today our message is entitled, Hold Time. Hold tight. We're in Revelation chapter 3, today verses 7 through 13. Hold tight. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Hold tight. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in the 7th verse, God's Word says this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, 
I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we, we tell you, Lord, we love you. We tell you our hope alone is in you. We praise you as our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Lord, I pray today as we have gathered that you have, you have been honored in our meeting, that you've been pleased in our singing and our worship. And now I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be normal. I pray, Lord, that it would be a supernatural event that you would speak to our hearts, to our minds, that, that our feet would be found faithful in the hearing of your word. And I pray, Lord, that there would be an impact in the message that we're about to hear, the word of God. Lord, I pray for some that are lost that will hear the good news today. I, I pray that any hindrance to their receiving Christ this very hour, this very day would be removed. Lord, I pray for us in the church, those that are safe, I pray that we would be emboldened today. I pray that we would be encouraged today. And Lord, I pray that all of it would point to you and bring glory to your name. Lord, we tell you we love you and we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, we exalt you. We praise you, and I pray in the name of Jesus, our King. In his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Today in our study, really in these last weeks, I think we should be considering what is a successful church. There is a drive, I think, uh, to be known as a successful church. Well, we ought to be considering what does it mean, what is it look like to be a successful church? Um, is it, does it mean that there's a building full of people? Is that the sign that there is a, a, a church that is successful? Does it mean that people are bragging on the church and there is a good reputation in the community for the church? People are accepting of it. What does it mean to be a successful church? Now, I will tell you this. I believe many churches today, in fact, I'll tell you it looks like most of them are missing what it means to be successful as a church today. Now, I'm going to go ahead and answer this up front today. At the start of the message, I've been thinking about it, and I have an answer. Listen very carefully. To be a successful church is to be found faithful to the living word, Jesus, by standing on the written word of our Bibles. Now, I want to say that again. Listen to that. What is a successful church? What does it mean to be a successful church? To be a successful church is to be found faithful to the living word, Jesus, by standing on the written word of our Bibles. That is success. That is really the only true measure for success for a church. It's not in attendance. It's not in popularity or in some other thing. All right, we're going to go to our study today. Today we're looking at the sixth of the seventh churches that Jesus, the risen Lord, the risen Savior, 
addresses here at the start of the book of Revelation. We've worked through the previous messages. We're at the sixth message today. I'm going to start back in in chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. It starts off and it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia right. Now, first off, I want us to see the city of Philadelphia. Uh, it was most likely named uh, for two brothers, one of them who founded the city. Uh, the, the city means city of brotherly love. And so most likely it's named for one of these brothers and the relationship that he had with his other brother. Uh, it was a city that served to expand Greek thought. Now, that was a growing thing. Greek philosophy is spreading uh, the, the, the love of entertainment, the love of the theater, the love of deep talk and philosophy. This city served to expand uh, the, the, the uh, idea of Greek philosophy and Greek thought. That is a process known as Hellenization. Uh, it was also a city known for its vineyards. Now, it's pretty interesting. It really wasn't the city itself, uh, but the fertile land that was around the city that had these great vineyards. And so the city is known for the production of grapes and its many vineyards. I think it is interesting. It was also a city known to easily compromise politically to keep favor with the government. Now, I think about how timely these messages are. I see tie-ins to our day as well. But this is a city that was known to easily compromise politically to keep favor with Rome. Uh, Historians tell us it appears to have changed its name at least twice, at least two times, to impress the Roman Caesars. Verse 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now again, I want you to see this. This was a message to the pastor of the church. It is given to John the Apostle. It is meant for the pastor of the church. And so it is a message to the pastor of the church that will become a message through the pastor to the church. Now that's no small thing. That is a big thing. It is a message given to the pastor that will become a message that goes out through the pastor to the local church. Now again, notice that is the New Testament model. Now we need to see that. We need to hold on to that. That is the New Testament model. The pastor pastors the church by preaching not his own word, not somebody else's word, not the culturally accepted word, but the pastor pastors the church by preaching the word of God. How do you know this is a New Testament church? How do you know it's following the New Testament plan for the church? The pastor is preaching the word of God. Today, be sure, in the New Testament church, that is what God intends. The preacher preaches the word of God. That is what God empowers in his church. That is what God blesses in his church, and that's exactly what we find here in the church of Philadelphia. It is a message to the pastor that will go through the pastor and be preached, proclaimed to the church. All right, from there, once again, we see a marvelous picture of the resurrected Christ. Now, I think uh, how awesome these messages are 
And a big part of that is the picture, the understanding of Jesus that we see in these letters. Once again, we see a marvelous picture of the resurrected Christ. In awesome fashion, Jesus describes himself. Now, I think it is very profound. If you notice in these seven messages, the picture of Jesus that is presented is the understanding of Jesus that is needed. Now, each church has a specific thing going on. Each church has a specific need that needs to be addressed. And I think it is a very profound thing that the picture of Jesus that is presented is the understanding of Jesus that is needed. There is no coincidence in that. Well, here, painting a picture of himself, he says three things. He says, he who is holy. He says, he who is true. And he who has the key of David. Now, that's the picture that they were going to receive of Christ. That is the picture that we see today as well. First, let's look at this. First, he who is holy. He who is holy. Now, the word holy means, very simply, not like anyone or anything else. Now, I could give you a, 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 probably a better, more detailed definition, but that's the basic definition. Holy means not like anyone or anything else. Jesus is holy. He is not like Caesar. He was not like the false gods of the day. He is before all. He is above all. He is greater than all. And Jesus is holy. Now, I think today we lose sight of that. I think today we try to to, to maybe bring Jesus down to some level that we can, we can see that we, we, we like that level. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is we need to understand Jesus is holy. Our Jesus is not like anyone else. Our Jesus is not like anything else. Our Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. That's the first part of the picture. Second is this. This one's awesome. He who is true. Who is, who is true. It means Jesus is true, is right, is pure. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says of himself, he is actually the truth. Now listen, today what that means is Jesus is trustworthy. You wonder who you can trust today? Jesus is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. Jesus is faithful. In a world where betrayals all around us, Jesus is totally faithful. Jesus is dependable. Jesus is solid. Jesus is secure. And in a world of shifting sand, Jesus is the foundation that will stand. He is the anchor that will hold. Why? Because Jesus is true. You can trust him. You don't understand what's going on. You can depend on him. You've been throwing a curveball and you don't like it. Listen, you can trust Jesus. He is true. Then listen to this. He has the key of David who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open. Now this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22 Verses 20 through 23, in the context of that chapter, uh, we find there the one with the key of David has access to the king. If you go read that chapter, that's what the, the context tells us. 
the one who has the key of David, has access to the king. In fact, we find there he is the only one who has access to the king. Well, in this context, as Jesus describes himself, it means Jesus is the only way to the Father. Now I want you to think about a key. A key opens. A key unlocks. A key provides access, or it can do the opposite. It can lock, and it can deny access. Well, the picture that Jesus is painting of himself that they evidently needed to be encouraged in is that Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. Jesus is the hope, but he's the only hope. Jesus is the answer, but he's the only answer. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior from God, and he is the only one. He's the only one. I want you to hear me this morning, and I wish I could be louder. This is all, all I got this morning. Listen to me. The only way to be saved, the only way to be saved, the only way to have peace with God, the only way to be forgiven of your sin, aren't you sick of your sin? The only way to be forgiven of your sin, the only way to ever have eternal life is in Jesus. He is the only way. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen to me today. Jesus is the way. He is exclusively the way. He is the way. That is the picture that Jesus paints of himself. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Okay, now we head to the message. Says this, verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. Because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. It starts off, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Now we have seen this over and over in this study. Jesus sees the goings on in the church. He knows what's happening in the church. He is not unaware. He is not disinterested. He is not disconnected from his church. Jesus sees what is happening in the church. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. It says, I have put before you an open door. Now, most likely that means an opportunity. In the context, most likely that's what that means. He has put before them an opportunity. I've opened a door before you. There is an opportunity before you. It was no doubt an opportunity for the gospel to go out. It was a missionary opportunity. It was a, an opportunity to glorify Christ's name in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, I've opened an opportunity before you. And the reason he has done this, it says, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
Now, let me tell you what's going on in this, this church. First, in this church, here in this city of Philadelphia, there are the Judaizers. And they come to this church, and they want them to return to Judaism. They want them return, to return to following the law. Let Jesus go and come back to Judaism. Let Jesus go and come back to our following of the law. They would tell them, Rome is okay with the Jews. They're fine. They've got to deal with the Jews. Their problem is with the Christian church. And so they would say, leave Jesus, turn from Jesus, and come back to Judaism. This group would inflict much persecution on the church. And so that is the first thing that's going on. The Judaizers are saying, leave Jesus, come back to Judaism, and escape the pressure of Rome. All the while, they're persecuting the church. Now, there's others, and they come to the church, and they say, worship Caesar. Worship Caesar. Call Caesar Lord. Deny Jesus. Evidently, following him brings nothing but hardship anyway. Deny Jesus, and the world will love you. Deny Jesus, and the culture will celebrate you. Deny Jesus, and the Romans will protect you. And they come, and they're telling the church the same thing. Deny Jesus. Follow Caesar. Call Caesar Lord. And they inflict much pain and persecution on the church. And so this group is saying, leave Jesus and come back to Judaism. This group says, leave Jesus, turn from Jesus, and turn to Caesar worship. And yet the, the truth is there are some in this church and they will not bend to the Judaizers, and they will not compromise with the Caesar worshipers, and they say there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus, and they hold fast to the name of Jesus. They will not compromise. They will not let him go. Their message is, it is Jesus. They're not going to sell out. It is Jesus. Listen to me, listen to me. Be clear, listen to me. Today, listen, the opportunities God gives us as the church and the success of those endeavors are directly tied to our upholding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear that again. What is a successful church? The opportunities that God gives us as a church. Well, God doesn't give us any opportunities. Well, listen, the opportunity God gives us as a church and the success of those endeavors are directly tied to our upholding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen and be sure, Jesus is our Savior. The Bible is his word. The gospel is our good news. Believe is our message, all because Jesus saves. You know what? The mission of the church is tired of the preaching of the gospel. You know when we're going to see success? And that's when we actually uphold and preach the gospel. Verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now there's two things at least to see here in the ninth verse. Now, the first is this, and be sure and understand this. All 
false religion is of Satan. Sometimes we think, well, they're well-meaning. Well, they're good people. Well, they're not that rough. They're not that mean. All false religion is of Satan. All false religion, whatever the shape it takes, is a lie of Satan. He wants you to miss Jesus. He wants you to miss the good news of the gospel. All false religion is a lie of Satan. A false religion of works. A false religion of self-righteousness. A false religion of a different Jesus. A false religion of denying Jesus. You can call their name if you want to, but whatever shape it takes, they are of Satan. Second thing is this. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. The second thing is this, and it's a, it's a word of encouragement. Our reputation will be upheld by Jesus. Our reputation will be upheld by Jesus. That's what the verse is saying here. We do not have to go out and solicit the sympathies of the world. We do not have to go out and work for the popularity of the world. In fact, I'll tell you, if you'll uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to be found at odds with the world we live in. But the, the, the truth of God is good news right here is our reputation is safe, it is set and it is defended by Jesus himself. And so you know what? The world is going to disparage the gospel preaching church. It is going to disparage those that would uphold the truth of Jesus. But our reputation is set and is defended and is safe in the person of Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. world may hate us. You know what? Jesus has our reputation. He will defend it. Verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Let me read verse 10 again. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, Jesus' perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. All right, get ready here in verse 10. I'm about to tip my hand. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. The apostles are very clear. If we follow Jesus Christ, there will be trouble. That's what the Bible says. If we follow Jesus, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardships. We can expect that. There's going to be tribulations. If you follow and serve Jesus Christ... There's going to be tribulations. Expect that. But that's not what this is talking about. Now, there's some that try to lump that together and include it in that. That's not what this is talking about. Now, we're going, to, we're going to get there. It's coming up in our study. But I want to start off today, and I want to say this. The testimony of Scripture is there will be coming a day of unprecedented tribulation. There is coming a day of unprecedented trouble and great unprecedented suffering, such as never has been seen on the earth before. The Bible calls it the great tribulation. And I believe this is very clear. The encouragement to the church is 
we will not be here for it. And I believe this is talking about the rapture of the church before the days of tribulation. I believe this is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's going to be the blast of a trumpet. There's going to be the shout, the voice of an archangel. And the Bible says on that day, Jesus is coming for the church. The Bible says we will meet him in the air. Listen to me. Jesus is coming for his church before the days of the great tribulation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's go. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole earth. All right, verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, I want you to see this verse 11 is tied very quickly to verse 10. Verse 10, we will suffer for the cause of Christ, yes, but we will not suffer the great tribulation. As believers, we are to take hope in that. As believers, we can find peace in that. As believers, we can have joy in that. And then added to that, Jesus says right behind it, I am coming quickly. What it means is it won't be long. You're not going to be there for the great tribulation. There will be a rapture of the church. And Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. It won't be long. And so here's what he says do. So hold fast to what you have. You know what? There's coming a day when Jesus is coming for his church. But in the meantime, so hold fast to what you have. The word here for hold fast, it means to seize. It is an aggressive word. It means to take hold of powerfully. Here's my favorite translation. It means to not release your grip. And so you grab it, you seize it, you powerfully grab a hold of it, and you do not release your grip. Let me tell you the danger of our day. And I believe we're seeing this in church one after another. The danger of our day is not that we would outright deny Jesus. The danger of our day is not that we would outright preach against Jesus. But I want to tell you the danger of our day is that we would relax our grip. And I believe that's happening in our world today. I believe that's happening in our churches today. When there's the truth of Jesus and there's a truth that needs to be defended, you know what? I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to make my neighbors mad. I don't want to stand against this culture. And so I ease up on my grip. There's a truth that points to Jesus Christ and we can take a stand for the gospel of Jesus. But you know what? I'm going to have to tell somebody they're wrong in order to do that. I'm going to have to tell somebody there's one truth and it's the truth of Jesus in order to do that. And so we ease up on our grip and we let go of the truth of the word of God. We blend in to the world around us. We let our group, our grip loosen and we look like the world around us. The danger today for the church is that we quietly, unseen by most, relax our grip. It's happening all around us. 
It's happening in church after church. It says that the verse, so that no one will take our crown. Now, I want you to understand it's not the crown of life. It's not talking about our salvation. Once you're saved, you're going to be saved, held in the power of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the crown of our salvation. It is talking about the victor's crown. And what that means is for our church, we let our grip go. We let it go by, and we didn't finish our mission. You know how sad that is? Didn't finish our mission. We didn't prevail on the mission that God had given us at this important time. We didn't prevail on that mission. We didn't hold fast. Let me get this out here. And I'm going to be clear. And I want you to be sure of it. And, and brother, sister, it's not going to be ambiguous. And if you miss it, it's going to be recorded. I want you to hear this. This Bible is God's Word. This Bible is God's Word. And it is faithful and true because its author is faithful and true. And in this Bible, it tells us the fact of mankind. In this Bible, it tells us the facts of creation. In this Bible, it tells us that we are created either male or female, both in the image of God. In this Bible, the Word of God, it tells us what a marriage is, and it tells us what a marriage is for. In this Bible, the Word of God, it tells us what is pleasing to God, faithful obedience, and it tells us what is a sin before God. Listen, we're not making it up as we go. This Word, the Word of God, tells us what is right and is always right, and what is wrong and what is always wrong. This Bible, the Word of God, tells us of all of our problem in that knowing what was right, we chose to do what was wrong. This Bible doesn't mince any word. It tells us the penalty for our rebellion, the penalty for our sin. It is death. And I want you to hear this, and based upon all of that, and built upon all of that, it tells us of the Savior for sinners. It tells us of the hope of all mankind. His name is Jesus. It tells us of Jesus that he is born of a virgin. It tells us he is a descendant of Abraham in the line of David. It tells us when he lived on earth, he did not sin. Not one single sin did he ever commit. It tells us as the perfect Lamb of God, he died brutally, physically, literally for all of our sins. Did you hear what I said? He went to the cross and there he died for all of our sins on the cross of Calvary. This Bible, the Word of God, it tells us three days later in the greatest demonstration of power ever, the sacrificed lamb Jesus walks out of that grave as the reigning king, the risen lamb. This Bible, the word of God tells us that God loves us and he loves all people and he has made a way for all people. And it tells us in grace and in mercy and kindness, if we will turn from our sins, if we will turn to our savior Jesus, it tells us very clearly we will be forgiven, we will be renewed, we will be redeemed, we will be restored, we will be adopted, we will be saved in the power of Jesus and given eternal life. This Bible, the Word of God, tells us 
There is coming a day, I'd sing it if I could, there is coming a day when the stain of sin will be forever gone, when the shame of sin will be far removed, and all things will be made right, and there will be a new heaven, and there will be a new earth, and we will stand, and the tabernacle of God will be among men. Friends, listen to me. This Bible is the Word of God. And it is faithful and true because its author is faithful and true. And the call for the church is hold fast to the word of God. Don't let it slip. Don't let it leave our clutches. This is the word of God. Hold fast to the word of God. That's what they did in this church. You haven't denied my name. You haven't turned from me. The call for the church today in our day, this wicked day, hold fast to the word of God. It tells us of Jesus the hope of sinners. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Now I want you to remember verse 12 is not a call to overcome. It is the promise that is made that can be expected by those who overcome in Jesus. It's not our willpower. It is the power of Jesus. If you've trusted Jesus, listen, friend, you shall overcome. Those that overcome, they will become a pillar in the temple of God, standing bold in permanent residence. It says they will not go out anymore. It says, Jesus will write on them the name of my God. It means we are possessed by him. We belong to him. It says our new residence, the new Jerusalem, that address, in case you ever get lost, it'll be written on you as well. You, you are owned by God. You belong to his city. And the best is this, Jesus' new name will be written on us and we'll be identified by Jesus. Praise the Lord. For those who overcome in the power of Jesus, the last verse of the message is this. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, that's not some redundant phrase. That's the plea of Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening today? Do you have an ear? Then listen here. Do you know the living word, Jesus? He is your hope. He is your answer. He'll forgive you of your sin. Do you know the living word, Jesus? Will you stand and hold tight to the written word, our Bible? Will you stand and hold tight the truth of God's word? Are you listening? And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. I come in great humility. I'm not worthy, Aunt Lord, to, to read this description. Not worthy of such grace, not worthy of such a Savior. But in your grace and in your kindness, in your love, you give us a Savior, a perfect Lamb, the risen Lamb. You give us the forgiveness of our sin by faith in Jesus, not of anything that we would ever do. You give us a hope, an anchor, a foundation. You give us a future. We had squandered in sin. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for us as the church 
that as we hear this message, as we see the, the storm clouds all around us, we would hold tight to the word of God. We would hold tight to the message, the gospel of that word, that there is a Savior. And we would point and we would preach and we would proclaim and we would hold fast the name of Jesus. Lord, use us for that. Give us opportunities for that. Give us success in those opportunities. Lord, we come and I know that you have spoken. I pray, Lord, that we would listen, that we have heard. I pray as we leave here that we would be different, that we would ponder and think about what we have heard. And I pray we'd be shaped in accordance. Lord, we come, we trust all this to you. We ask in this time of invitation that you would move, that you would work. And I pray, Lord, that the response is to bring glory to your name. I trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you the point to all of that is this. There is good news. Our world's looking for good news. I want to tell you there is good news. Our world wants a Savior, needs a Savior. There's a Savior in the person of Jesus. And I want to tell you it doesn't matter what your sin is. doesn't matter how great it is. doesn't matter how publicly it's known. doesn't matter how well you've kept it hidden. There's a Savior for your sin. And if you'll call upon the name of Jesus, turning from your sin and repentance, turning to him in faith. Here's what the Bible says. He'll save you right now. He'll save you right now. Don't have to come and, and impress a bunch of folks. Don't have to come and, and do a bunch of things and deeds to, to get a checklist somewhere. If you'll trust Jesus right now, he'll save you right now. That's the good news of our gospel. That's the message of this book. If you're here or if you're listening in some other way and you've never trusted Christ, you're saying, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, Listen, settle it today. Settle it today. He'll save you today. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, you come on. You need more information, you come. Let's see what God's word has said. Let's settle that today. If you've never turned to Christ, turn to him today. He'll save you today. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you need to follow in believer's baptism. The Bible says it's always by immersion. It's a picture of what we believe, that Jesus died, went in a grave, came out of it. It's also a testimony to what's happened to us in Christ. We've, we've died with Christ, and now we walk in his power. And so maybe you say, you know what, I, I, I need to be baptized after my salvation, not as part of it, uh, to testify to Christ. You come, we'll set a day, it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here, you come as well. And together we'll serve his cause, his kingdom, until he comes again. Maybe you're here, and this message is for for you, and as, as it was for me, and, and maybe the cause is this, we can't let go of the Word of God. We can't let it go because it upholds the Savior of that Word, Jesus. Maybe our, our response is to be committed anew to uphold the Word of God. We're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if He's speaking to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. Maybe you want to come pray.